0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ASIAL Security Insider Podcast. Today we are talking about the uh, Federal Court decision that was handed down mid-last week, so uh, around the 22nd of May uh, 2020, around WorkPack versus skiing. And to talk us through the decision and why this is important for the security industry, uh, along with a range of other industries, we have Chris Delaney, the industrial relations advisor to ASIAL. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, John. How are you? Good. This is not your first rodeo. We've had you on here a couple of times now. Uh, Um,
1: Let's see how we go.
0: That's all right. So Chris, Tell us a little bit about WorkPack versus Scheme. Can you give us a bit of background on this decision and sort of help the listeners understand why this is important to the security industry?
1: Okay. Uh, John, just just as a matter of clarification, Scheme was the original case back in 2018. And what followed last Thursday afternoon was a decision in WorkPack. Pack versus Rosato, okay, um, which is a, a very similar case, and you'll see why as we sort of roll through it. But but going back to Skeen, Skeen was employed as a casual dump truck operator uh, by Work Pack. He was on a seven day on, seven day off continuous roster. His roster uh, was set a year in advance, and his employment was terminated when that happened. He made a claim that he was a permanent employee and sought uh, payment for annual leave, amongst other things. Now, the judge in the federal court at the time said that the regular and predictable working arrangements uh, that Skeen had made him a permanent employee entitled to annual leave, even though he was engaged as a casual and his, his title was casual field team member. Now, WorkPack appealed that decision um saying that that the judge had made a mistake and that Schoon was really a casual they argued that the fair work act didn't uh didn't define what a casual was so the judge needed to go to the common law modern awards and the agreement that uh work pack had which was an enterprise bargaining agreement uh indicating that he was a that he was a casual employee so that appeal went to the full court. That court decided that the enterprise agreement did not designate Scheme to be a casual employee and that it was not clear that the flat rate that he was paid of $55 an hour included a provision for a casual loading. Uh, they also said that that a casual had a uh, uh, an acquired legal meaning and they identified that as the absence of a firm advance commitment as to the duration of the employee's employment or the days or hours that the employee was, uh, was, was to work. That they said was what the essence of casual, casualness was.
0: Now, So then should it really have come as a surprise that if this guy's roster was set a year in advance that they said well that's not casual?
1: No, look, it, it shouldn't have been a surprise. Um, over many years, there have been decisions of industrial tribunals that that go to uh, the ad hoc nature of casual work versus regular and systematic. And that term regular and systematic seems to have endured for a very long period of time. Uh, now, a lot of employers say, well, i paid a casual load uh, that's 25%. It includes a provision for uh, paid annual leave, sick leave, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I should be able to set that off against yeah. any any decision that a tribunal might make that they're not a casual. Now, yep. that's that's probably the nub of this whole thing. And as we get to Rosato, uh, Rosato I should mm-hmm. say, um, that sort of comes out a little bit more clearly. So... He, he was similar to Scheme in as much as he worked for WorkPack. Uh, he was engaged under similar types of work. He had six separate casual employment contracts. Now, they were separate contracts on each occasion. They followed each other pretty closely. Yep. Um, but they had, as distinct from Scheme, they called him a casual Uh, they said there was a casual loading in lieu of leave entitlements, etc. Yep. So I think WorkPAC had learned their lesson from Schoon up to a point um, and had tried to make these casual arrangements with with other employees uh, dissimilar to what had happened in Schoon.
0: Right. Uh,
1: However, I mean, Rosato wasn't dismissed. He he left of his own accord. He left to look after uh, a sick relative. Um, and very soon after the scheme decision, the Schoon case started in 2016 and was finalised in 2018. And very soon after that, Rosato uh, decided that he should have what Scheme got, that he was also a permanent employee and had some rights to annual leave and sick leave and so on. So he put that claim on WorkPAC. WorkPAC immediately took the matter to the federal court again. So uh, he, uh, again, he'd worked every shift. He'd worked seven on, seven off. His roster was seven months in advance and so on. Now, Workpack went to the federal court and said, we want you to rule that Mr. Rosato was a casual employee, not a permanent employee. But if you decide that he's a permanent employee, we want you to rule that the 25% casual loading can be set off against any of those entitlements to annual leave that that you believe he might have. And if you don't do that, you should consider that the 25% casual loading was mistakenly paid to him because he's not a casual. And we should be able to recoup that money. Now, unfortunately for WorkPAC, Uh, the federal court said, well, yes, he is a permanent employee. And we based that on the fact that the similarities to Schoon are way too close to decide any other way. He was employed for an indefinite duration. And his employment, the words they used on this occasion, was stable, regular, and predictable. Yep. So they say that he did have access to annual leave, paid personal leave, paid compassionate leave, and payment for public holidays, remembering, of course, that he had a flat rate of pay of $55 per hour. Now, WorkPAC said, yeah, okay, well, that's fine. You've decided that he's a permanent employee, but we should be able to offset or set off that 25% casual loading. McCord said, no, you can't. And... Workpack were a bit flustered by this, they, they wanted to know why. And the court it said that because, yep, yeah, said that because the casual loading couldn't be separately identified from his ordinary rate of pay and there was no clause permitting Workpack to ask for the money back, they couldn't seek any restitution of it. Okay. So most employers would see that as a double dip. Yep. Uh, you're getting 25% casual loading for being a casual and not getting your, your annual leave. And then all of a sudden, um, you, you, you've got both.
0: Yep. So what uh, and, what was it that they didn't do, though, that enabled him to, to get away with, oh, I shouldn't say get away with that because that's the wrong wording, but what was it that they didn't do that enabled that situation to arise?
1: Look, I think, you could say that uh, the way work was uh, arranged is probably the biggest issue, yep. that, that these, both Skeen and, and Rosato worked for a number of years. I think Rosato worked for about three and a half years without a break. Yep, They worked every shift. Yep, They worked rosters that were set months in advance, in other words, there's a real expectation of continuing employment. Yep. Uh, they worked seven on, seven off. Yep. Uh, in, in both instances, because they were doing fly-in, fly-out, they were provided with accommodation. Okay. Now, those types of, uh, of, of arrangements have been seen for many years it's being less than casual, more like permanent. Sure. So they're not they're not working ad hoc. They're not working intermittently or irregularly. Uh they are not in a situation where they're unaware of what's going to happen in the future. In other words, they've got advanced notice of of continuing employment for a significant period of time. Yep. And very difficult to distinguish them between a full-time employee and a casual. The other part of all of that is that their contracts of employment were not clear enough to differentiate them from a casual. In other words, they may not have shown the casual loading as a separate loading to the rate of pay. $55 an hour, 25% in there uh, wasn't separated out.
0: Yeah. They so, may have been called a casual. Yeah. Yeah, come on. I was gonna say so for for people in the security industry, there are obviously a lot of parallels here for some companies because you mm. know, a lot of smaller operators may have long term staff that have been working on a casual basis for a number of years, whether that be by the company's choice or by the employee's choice, because you know, let's face it, if you're an employee Sometimes it works better for you to have the freedom to be able to come and go as you please and have the twenty five percent loading. It's not always just down to the company. but what can we draw from this that employers need to understand in the security industry about this decision? What let's just say I, I John Bigelow, I'm running you know John Bigelow security and I've got a, a couple of casuals working for me what do I need to be doing differently that they clearly weren't doing in the case of uh, Skeen and Rosato?
1: Okay. The first thing that we should think about is whether the arrangement identifies them clearly as a casual versus a permanent. I mean by the way they work. So the first thing I would do if I were an employer right now is review how I use casuals and have a look at the risk associated with that use. Are there enough similarities between schooling Rosato and what I'm doing that would indicate that this casual may very well be determined to be a full-time or a permanent employee? So what's the risk? Okay. The second thing I would do is look at the roster cycles of casuals to ensure that they're not working regularly and systematically. Yep. I'd also consider... If they are on a roster, whether that roster really identifies uh, the uh, the real expectation that they might have of continuing employment. Now, uh, just as an aside, that a lot of modern awards have in them a casualized uh, a, a casual conversion clause, which means that after about twelve months of working regularly and systematically, the casual's got an opportunity to ask the employer to be. Uh, uh, to be uh, a full-time or a part-time employee, depending on the number of hours that have been work. So that, that's available already. Yep. So that should be a, a, a key to uh, to looking at how casuals work. Yep. Uh, the other thing is that a lot of employers do not have contracts of employment, even with their permanent employees, let alone their casuals. And I think it's really important because if it's not in writing, then the courts can't look at it and, and, and say, yes, well, everybody knew what was going on here. So the casual contract should ensure that it has a set-off clause and a clause permitting the employer to reclaim the casual loading payments if indeed the relationship uh, becomes uh, determined to be a, uh, a permanent or a permanent part-time. Yeah. Now, that might happen in a court, but... Uh, over time, sometimes, uh, the, the arrangements we have people change because our clients' needs change and yeah. hours change and so on. So what you started out logging might be a little bit different later on.
0: And do we need to clearly because identify, does it does it need to be clearly identified in things like pay records that they're getting a 25% loading on something like a pay slip so the employee can see it, um, the employer yeah, can see it, and everyone else can see it?
1: Yeah, uh, this casual loading should be separated on the payslip. And even uh, if you can put a note on the payslip to say what's in the casual loading, sick leave, annual leave, redundancy, etc., etc. So the contract of employment, getting back to that briefly, um, yep. should include uh, a provision that allows the casual to reject work. That's important. Right. Uh the the casual loading should be defined in the contract as well as on the pay slip, showing that it includes things like annual leave, personal leave and any other form of paid leave available to the employee, with the exception of long service leave, because that's state based legislation and it's sacrosanct in that regard. Yep. Now as as we said before, the pay slip should be uh should be adjusted so it clearly identifies that the person is a casual, and that they have a separate casual loading, and it should show what the loading's provisions are. Now, if you do all of that, doesn't mean the employee won't, at some point in time, be deemed to be a permanent employee, because that will be uh, predicated on how work is performed, you know, whether your rosters are in place and so on. So it can, still can happen, but it, it will go a long way towards fixing the double dip of the 25 percent loading and the accrual of sick and annual leave uh, for the casual so there there're things that can be done immediately and should uh, and should be considered by employers yep uh, it's likely that the federal government will seek to vary the fair Work Act to give a more um, a, a clearer definition of what a casual is yep um, Although that may take some time. Uh, but the you know changes in legislation, particularly industrial relations legislation, are uh, really very hotly debated. And yeah. right now in the middle of this co- corona crisis issue, um, uh, you know the casual situation is a very, very hot issue.
0: and that's important because I guess, if people are in a position in the security industry where they might be sitting there thinking, oh, hang on, this this sounds a lot like what we're doing. If the government's looking at maybe adjusting the legislation, is that sort of a a sign to, well, don't panic just yet, This, this may change slightly. I mean, the reality is, if I can ask you this question, and I understand that you're not a lawyer, so you can't provide legal advice, but this is more about the legislation. This legislation was set up initially to stop large employers, you know, with umpteen thousands upon thousands of people from basically abusing the system and saying, Oh, we're not paying you leave and entitlements and all the rest of it because you're casual. You know, if if that's set up as a protection for workers, why would the government change it?
1: I guess I'm not sure I agree with your premise that it was set up for that purpose. Okay, um, sure. The, 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 uh, the legislation that's currently in play um, is the Fair Work Act 2009. Yep. Um, it, it followed uh, work choices, which was largely seen by the labour movement in particular as being a little bit pro-employer and, and not so much uh, assistance for employees. Yep. and work choices brought down a government, as we as we both know. Yeah, but I don't know that you could draw that bow towards you know casual employment and uh, and the uh, uh, the employers um, uh, not treating casuals the right way. Casual, the idea of a casual has been around for many 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 years, well before yep. the Fair Work Act, well before work choices and so on, and it's always been. Uh, predicated on how work is performed and those things that we mentioned before, you know, the ad hoc nature of work, the unpredictability of it and so on. All yep. of those things were, were what made a casual a casual. Yep. Um, over the years, um, there may have been employers who and employees who decided that they didn't want uh, permanent employees because it was too too hard to get rid of them, um, but it was the work that they were doing for their clients was too unpredictable in terms of how many full time employees they might have. But
0: yep. I mean, all you've got to
1: do is take take something like the Commonwealth Games in the security industry, sure. and for two weeks somebody they needed uh, four and a half thousand employees. Well, you, you don't have four and a half thousand. Uh, Employees in your back pocket, just to pull out whenever you feel like it. So there would have been a lot of casuals working in that type of environment.
0: But that's very
1: subcontracted.
0: That's very different, though, to having someone working for you on regular and predictable hours for a period of years.
1: Absolutely, and and remember, Workpac uh, is a labour hire organisation. Yeah. And those who used Workpac uh, were probably thinking okay, I need 20 full-time employees and I can top that up with 10 casuals because in three weeks' time, or a month's time or a year's time, if commodity prices move or whatever, uh, I won't need that many and then all of a sudden I'm up for redundancy and and a whole range of other costs that I want to mitigate and therefore labour hire is the way to go. So usually... In those types of arrangements, you've got a core group of full-time employees and a, and a group of casual employees that can be drawn upon from time to time. Now, if you're working for WorkPack, WorkPack might say, well, I've got a dozen clients. You might work for one client for a year, um, and I might be able to give you another client for six months. Yep. So they end up working for WorkPack. Essentially, as a as a full time employee. Yep. Um, but but not for the client in the
0: same way. And I guess that's there's, there's
1: what... a, bit of, a bit of that in the security industry. Yeah, I was going to say.
0: I guess that's important to the security industry because I might have thirty clients. You know, it might be ABC Tools and you know such and such shopping centre and all the rest of it. And Chris works some hours this week for ABC tools and some hours for such and such shopping center, but those hours are different next week. And then there's a different mix of hours the week after that, but you're still essentially working for me, uh, say 30 hours a week or 28 hours a week that, you know, if that happens to my reading based on what you're saying, longer than 12 months, you are not casual anymore.
1: That's right. And that's where we say review those casual arrangements to make sure that uh, you can identify if something is regular and systematic. I think those two words are very important, if it is regular and systematic. And there have been decisions in the past in other environments where they've said, look, if you've got a roster, that's an indicator that uh, you've got predictable hours and a reasonable expectation that things are going to continue. So uh, looking at all of those things, remembering that a, a, a casual is somebody that you w- will pull in to cover sick leave, annual leave, uh, spikes in, uh, in demand, but it's not something that is supposed to be regular and systematic.
0: Although that's a challenge in the security industry because I defy just about any security company to operate without a roster of some kind. So how far out in advance would it be reasonable to expect that you could roster casual employees? Like if, I, if I've if i rostered Chris on for a, a shift three days from now, is that reasonable as, as opposed to rostering you on for shifts three weeks from now? Look,
1: I'm gonna say yes in both instances, but what's far more important is that it depends on the availability of the work on the one hand yep. and the individual on the other hand. Yep. If I roster you, John, as a full-time employee, you are expected to come to work unless there's a good reason for you not to be able to sick yep. leave perhaps or carers leave or whatever. But if I send you, if you're a casual employee and I send you a roster, you should be able to say, look, I'm not available on three of those days, boss. Um, you know, I've, doing something else or going fishing or whatever, yep. then that's a right that you have as a casual employee that you would not have as a permanent employee.
0: Yep.
1: So that right to reject is also an important part of that whole process. Okay. So we, we used to say to people, uh, and I probably still do when they ask the question, um, give your employees the roster. It might be an eight-week roster cycle. Yep. They're not uncommon in our industry. Give the casual employee that roster and say, are you available to do all or part of this roster? And let me know of your availability for, for those those bits. Yep. Now, as an employer, I might say, I don't want to fiddle around with all of that, him being in three days this week and two days the other. Uh, I'd rather have somebody who'd work all the way through. That, that's your right as well. So you've both got a right to accept and reject work. Yep. And to offer work when it's available. And they, they are also key parts of the casual
0: arrangement. But I guess just understand that if you're an employer and you want someone who can work the whole way through the roster without quibbling, that's not a casual.
1: No, it can be a casual. Okay if if, if it doesn't if it doesn't continue for another roster and another roster okay, so and that's another the, yeah. roster. So let's yeah, just that'll be the key.
0: Let's just briefly so recap.
1: Three, so could have, I was it, just going to say, let's just
0: briefly recap because we're getting close to the time limit on on sort of you know sure. the the podcast. If we say you know, let's let's step employers through it. They need to have, uh, or they should have a an employment agreement with the employee that clearly delineates that they are a casual worker and all of the things that come with being a casual worker such as you know that doesn't necessarily entitle them to regular ongoing work predictable work and so on and so forth that they are getting a 25 percent loading in lieu of other things like um sick leave and annual leave it needs to clearly state that twenty five percent loading on their pay slip. Um, and if if they are getting regular work insofar as, you know, it can it can be a reasonable expectation that you'll get you know, maybe 20, between 20 and 30 hours a week, but not exactly what it's going to be. If that carries on for longer than a period of time, and you're saying roughly 12 months, then you need to review those relationships and and look at, well, are they actually a a part-time permanent?
1: Indeed. Absolutely. On the money.
0: Okay. What... Very last thing: What can I do now if I am an employer and I find myself that I in a situation where I have a number of people on my books that meet those criteria of? Oh, heck! I think they're actually probably permanent part time.
1: I think you could do two, one of two things. Um, you, you need to sit down with those employees and pull through. You know the contract that they should have. I suspect that most people don't have what their expectations are if you're going to offer them permanent or permanent part-time employment based on this and they don't want it they should be able to reject it in writing with the clear understanding that they are well informed about what they're going to miss out on so you need to have written to them and say look this is this is what you get now this is what I'm offering you for the future you know, it, it, will, it won't It will include the 25% loading, but it will include the accrual of second annual leave and, and all the other bibs and bobs, and allow the employee the right to accept it or reject it in writing in an informed way. And Then you will have some protection at least if it's argued at some point down the track that they should have been a permanent
0: employee. Okay. And if people want... I was going to say, if people want more information around this or want to know how to get in contact with you, how do they go about doing that? Obviously, if they're ASIL members, they'll know where you are. But
1: Sure. Well, ASIL members uh, have access to me uh, for over-the-phone advice uh, at or uh, through IR at ASIAL.com.au. Um, if you're not an ASIAL member and you're in the security industry, I'd encourage you to join ASIAL. Um I'm, I'm not able to give advice to people who aren't members of ASIA. Um, but, um but join ASIAL and you'll get all of the information you need.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess we have to point out too at this point in time, ladies and gentlemen, anyone listening to this, this is not legal advice and should not be taken as such specific or otherwise. If you want actual legal advice, you need to seek independent legal advice. This is industrial relations advice. So it's important to point that out. Uh, Chris, look, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure having you back on the podcast. Um, And again, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to find more podcasts like this one, there are others in the series. We've done a whole bunch around COVID-19 and how to cope with that in the workplace. We're going to be looking at some strategies for getting workers back into the workplace over the next few weeks. And uh, you can find all of the podcasts on Blurberry, iTunes, Spotify, and all of the other places that good podcasts can be found. Thank you once again, and we look forward to catching up with you next time. Thanks, John. Thanks, Chris.